uh, to me thus far this week, and I just am so thankful and blessed to be able to be with you guys this week. I'd ask you to, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. It's where we're going to begin this evening. Our topic this evening, Can My Family Count on Me? Again, as we think about our theme for this week, it is really centered around us. I'm asking you this week to be selfish and think of only yourself. I'm asking you, anybody else underneath the roof who may or may not have needed to hear that message, okay? I'm asking you to think about this for you, and I'm asking you to apply it to you. Can your family count on you? And so tonight as we begin, I ask you to think about that very thought. Can my family count on me tonight? You know, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 10, we're beginning in verse 34 uh, down through verse 39 of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus here is speaking, says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now we think about these words of Jesus. Those are pretty straightforward and, and uh, quite frankly, very blunt, right? Where he says, listen, I didn't come here uh, to bring peace. What does our world want today? They want you to accept them on their terms regardless of what those terms look like, right? Jesus here said, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. In fact, yesterday we looked at Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 and we saw there a word we don't see here in Matthew chapter 10, right? He who doesn't take up his cross and follow me, yesterday in Matthew, or Luke 9, 23, that word is daily, right? Meaning that we have to do a self-examination every single day. Can God count on me every single day? Can my family, the text of our lesson, count on me every single day? Them in a manner that God would have me to lead them in. Am I following after His word and His command? When Jesus says these words, and you really take them to heart for just a moment, guys, you ever told your wife that that's not how my mom cooked it? <laughs> I made that mistake one time. One time. Yeah. We don't try to make that mistake very often, do we? That's not my, how my mom made that. We, you know what we kind of do? We kind of pit a, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law about that time, right? You know, two guys were talking one time, and one guy asked the other guy, so what is your mother-in-law like? He said, man, my mother-in-law is an angel. The guy said, oh, you're lucky. My mother-in-law is still alive. <laughs> now, you think about that for a moment, and you put this, you think about us today. How many times do we have a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law who are like this? How many times do we have a dad and a son who are like that? How many times do we have our family get torn apart because somebody refuses to do what is right in the eyes of God? Not what we think is right in the eyes of ourselves. We must understand Jesus is speaking about himself here. He who does not 
love me more than his dad or more than his mom. Notice here, he even brings children into it, doesn't he? You love your children? I, I love my kids very, very much, but I've told all three of them, and my, and my youngest one you saw yesterday is six. I've told all three of them, I will not lose my soul for you. I love you very much. And here's the other side of it. I don't expect you to ever lose your soul for me either. I do not expect my children to become unfaithful because perhaps their dad does. Now, I will strive never to be unfaithful, but I don't want my children to lose their soul. You know, my wife, when she was having Gavin, our oldest, her water breaks about 3 o'clock or so in the morning, and we drive to the hospital. I get stuck behind this guy at a four-way stop sign, and he will not go. And we're the only two at that stop sign. Now, I will just tell you, I am not patient like I need to be when it comes to driving, okay? I have an expectation. I don't think the speed limit is too much of an expectation for you to drive. If it's your turn to go, you need to go because you're in my way. And so I honked the horn. This guy's about six foot eight. And I know that because he got out of his vehicle. And he turned and he looked back at me and I rolled down my window. I said, my wife's water broke. Oh, I'll get out of your way. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. So he moved. Wasn't angry at me anymore, thankfully enough, because um, my wife was going to have a child without a father. That guy had his way. But he got out of our way and we got up to the hospital. And my son, when he is born, I never felt the weight of the world until they have cleaned him off and Aaron has gotten to hold him for a little bit. And then they take him and they place him in a warmer. And he is crying and I said his name. And he stopped crying and he searched for me. And when he found me, we locked eyes. And I reached my hand down and my finger down and his whole hand grabbed my finger. And that is when the weight of the world came crashing down around me because that's when I realized that I have somebody else that I am responsible for. Something that it, someone that is just moments old, but his eternal salvation is on whether or not dad's going to be the spiritual leader of the house that he needs to be and that he's called to be and that God calls him to be. You see, that's the responsibility that we have is to be that spiritual leader. And so tonight as we look at this, I just want you to think about those words. Can my family count on me? Do I put God first or my family? And I want us to look tonight at the responsibility that we have. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Here we have the first institution that God makes. And it is a great institution. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, I love my wife very, very much. And I'm thankful for her. When we look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a responsibility that we have, isn't it? Now we have somebody else who's counting on us. And I, would, I realize we don't have a lot of kids here tonight, but I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. Marry someone who is going to help you get to heaven and not hinder you from getting to heaven. Choose a mate who is going to strengthen you and going to build you up and going to help you get to heaven, not someone who's going to keep you from getting there. You see, that's the responsibility. This is a great responsibility 
the institution of marriage, they are to leave and cleave to one another. They don't go calling home and running back to mom and dad when things don't go right, okay? Uh, they cleave to one another. You know, I, my father-in-law, when I went and asked him for my wife's hand in marriage, he said to me, no return. And I said, okay. And he said, that I mean this. It's not to come back to my house when you guys fight. If she burns your dinner, you eat it with a smile on your face. I don't want to see her back at my house because you hurt her feelings. He said, the expectation I have is what God expects. You are married to one another. And if you can't handle that, don't you put that ring on her finger. And I appreciated that very much because that's the expectation that he has. And it's the expectation we should have of one another to be there. Are times always going to be easy? Man, I'm telling you, the 1st of November, we'll have been married for 18 years. And I usually tell people we've been married for six happy months because it's a struggle, right? Throughout those 18 years, not every day is a great day. Not every night is a great night. But we make sure that we are there for one another in everything. In fact, Christ uses this. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning there in verse number 22, Christ uses this as an illustration for the church, right? And what we are to look like. Because, brethren, what I would tell you is to remember that you and I, yesterday we looked at can the church depend on me, right? Can the church count on me? Am I going to hold up my end of it? Well, you know what we are? Family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And we need to act like it. We need to understand that just because things don't quite go right, we don't go flitting off somewhere else because we got our feelings hurt. Now, if you don't stand godly, you don't stand godly, and that's a different thing. But if it's because of the fact that you don't like the color of my tie or somebody didn't say hello to you, you know, I tell people that at Bonnie, and I'm not going to pick on Bonnie at all by any means. This happens in every congregation. Okay, but... I pick on people from time to time to tell them that I think dearly of them and highly of them. But there's a place that, and Kendall can attest to this, as you walk towards the back of the building to leave, and we have double doors that go out each side, that there is a, an invisible line right there in the floor. And people, when they hit that line and they see the preacher, they straighten up. And then they walk back there and they shake your hand. But until they get to that line, they're kind of bent over and they got a smile on their face and maybe joking around, but they hit that line and, Preacher's coming. We got to straighten up. I watch people as they begin to leave, and you'll see a couple of them that they'll give each other kind of a curt nod across the auditorium because we don't get along in this life. I want to see you for eternity, but I don't want to get along with you here because you didn't compliment my dress one day or you didn't say hi to me that time. Now, we don't think about what might have been on their mind that day, but we look at them and we, we give them a curt nod or away from across the thing. But we don't want to have to talk to one another. And we get to the point that, brethren, we come to a couple of names. First one is Freeze, F-R-E-E-Z-E. -E. We have a family feud. And so one side of the family that gets their feelings hurt from the other suddenly spells their name F-R-I-E-Z-E. -E. Well, my name's spelled differently. You're still related. But we try to act like we're not, right? We spell our... Can you understand? Can you believe we go to this length to try to disassociate with one another, but yet we'd say 
I want to spend eternity in heaven with that person. What? Are you kidding? You wouldn't share a cup of coffee with that person. You wouldn't want to sit next to them in the pew, but you want to spend eternity together. What makes us think that either one of us would get there if that's the way we treat each other? Can my family count on me to live up to what I'm supposed to? And this is what Christ says in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning there in verse number 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, do you see this? The church is subject to Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. It is His body. As we looked yesterday in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it is the Lord who adds to the church. It's His body. And if we have a problem with one another, we have a problem with pride. And we have a problem with arrogance and selfishness. When we're not willing to submit to one another, we have a problem right here with the person looking back at us in the mirror. This is why I tell you this week is about me. I want you to think about ourselves be selfish this week and think about you not in a good way i want you to look at yourself and say do i fit the mold of what a member of the body of christ is supposed to look like can my family my church family my family family my immediate family can they all count on me am i able to be relied upon to get them to heaven am i pushing them and motivating them to get to heaven or am i holding them back Am I willing to submit to be there for one another? Am I willing to be there to help them? You know, we, we think about our wives for just a moment in the husband and wife relationship as we've been looking at it as well. And we think about what that relationship is supposed to look like. We realized when we started dating that we had somebody else's soul that we were responsible for there as well. That what we were doing was leading them in a godly manner. That's why we treat our husband and wife. I don't like the term treat them as if you You treat your wife as if you were dating. Okay. And that's not right. It's not, it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's not godly in any way, shape, or form. You're like she's your wife. Treat him like he's your husband. Gentlemen, when you got down on your knee and you ask your wife to marry you, was your heart pounding? Man, mine was, and I already knew what the answer was going to be. But I was still terrified that she might wake up and say no. But I think about that, and I think about what happens. Do we understand that that's how we are to treat one another? Treat her as if she's your wife. Ladies, treat him as if he's your husband. Because when we look at the husband and wife relationship, it's such a special relationship and a special bond. The ones that come from it, our children that we talk about, are a product of that. They are not to come before one another. They are not to be put in place of one another. I know parents who pit their children against one another even though they're married in the same house. How can we do that? Don't ever, ever talk down about your spouse in front of your children. It doesn't do any, it's not healthy. It doesn't do anything for them teaches them bad habits that quite frankly don't show what it means and what it is to submit to one another. 
I think about some very godly women. And Peter talks about them in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we look there specifically at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. I know several women who have won over husbands and I've watched them my entire life in different congregations where I have been. They come by themselves without their spouse. And at times you see that spouse walk in and sit down next to them. And after a while, and Kendall can attest to this, and I'm sure that many others can, you watch as that guy begins to show up and be there because he realizes that his wife is not going to be home Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Gospel meetings, they show up without him. Wednesday evening, they're here at all times at service because God comes first. And you see that by their example and the fact that they are committed to God and committed to making sure that they are there every single time the doors are open, you watch as those men finally turn their life around and they understand where she's coming from. I feel sorry for those men that never do, but I've known so many that have because of their wife. One other verse I want you to look at is verse number 7 while we're here. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Weaker vessel. We have so many different ideas of what this weaker vessel means. Sometimes it's because we think that women are weak emotionally. Guess what? I've cried before. I've showed a weakness emotionally in some people's eyes. We think about the fact that women are physically inferior to men. I have known some ladies who could pummel their husbands with no, with no problem. Okay? I want you to think about it this way because I, I, this is where the Bible is speaking of this. How many of you have a china cabinet? You have fine china in there, you just keep dust. We keep fine china in there, don't we? You don't keep broken shards of glass in there, do you? It's set apart, isn't it? You see, we have it in a special place, and it's set apart. My grandma had fine china. and We always wanted to eat on that fine china. And she would take it out for special occasions and special dinner parties. Do you know what the kids ate off? The regular stuff. They would never allow, she would never allow us to touch it. We weren't even allowed to help take it out, right? I mean, she's almost like she had on white gloves and everything to set this out, and, and each piece was individually bubble wrapped. That's how she treated it, okay? Piece of fine china. Hey, fellas, how great do you think we would have a, how much better do you think our relationship would be if we treated our wife in that manner? Like a piece of fine china. Delicate and precious. Not delicate emotionally, not delicate physically. Delicate because she's your wife. You handle her, not with kid gloves, but with kindness and gentleness. That we handle her in such a way that we show her that she belongs in a china cabinet. Not to be separated from you, but she belongs there because of how valuable she truly is. 
You see, if we would have that type of attitude about our spouse, how much better would our relationship be? We need to look at her in that manner. Not weak, not emotionally wrecked, precious, valuable. That's the way that husbands should view their wives. Now, as we've said, we have a product of that. What about our children and how does that look and how does that play out into this with us? You see, children are that product of the relationship. If you look at Proverbs chapter 1 with me, Proverbs chapter 1, specifically here we look at verse number 8 tonight. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 8. There we read, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Here. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Don't let this be just this dull hum in the background. Don't let it be a noisemaker for you to go to sleep by. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Pay attention to what your mother is saying to you. Your parents have guidance, they have experience. And we all know that the kids, when they hit their teenage years, look at you as if you just, you have three heads, right? How can that guy possibly know what he's talking I have one teenager and one that's about to be a teenager and they already look at me that way. But I think about the responsibility that we have. Do we understand here that as, as Solomon is speaking or the preacher is writing, I want you to think about this for just a moment. He is not talking specifically to children. Instead, what he's addressing is moms and dads. Do we understand as parents, we have a responsibility to instruct. They can't pay heed to what they don't hear. They can't hear if we're not giving instruction. Then they have a responsibility to listen to it. But parents have the responsibility to instruct them. We have to show them what it is. You know, we live in Missouri. What's Missouri called? Yeah, show me state, right? You need to show me. I was thick-headed enough that I didn't always understand instruction. I needed to be shown. And sometimes it was across my backside that I needed to be shown. But, and that's a part of disciplining and raising children. But children need to listen to their parents. But parents need to speak in such a way that they give something to be followed after and to be paid attention to. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 is a verse that's very familiar to all of us, right? Train up a child in the way they should go, and he, when he is old, he will not depart from it. We think about those words. And there are some parents who I know who hang their hat on that verse. Let me explain something to you, parents. Do we give them something to follow? Do we actually train them up? To train up is to be an example for. We have to show them how they are to live. Now, some are going to choose to follow after that and some are going to choose not to. Okay? This isn't an end-all, be-all guarantee. This isn't a stamp to say this is absolutely going to happen, right? Man, I wish it was. 
oh, do I wish it was. But it's not. But as parents, we have to train them. We have to set an example. We have to give expectations, and then we have to stand behind those expectations that we give. Jesus tells us that our yes must be yes, and our no must be no. How many times do we have parents who say, hey, if you do that again, this is going to happen. And they do it again, and they say, hey, if you do that again, are you listening to me? If you do that again, this is going to happen. And the kid does it again. Hey, you got to pay attention, because if you do that again... Well, you've told them that three times. They are listening, and they continue to do it because you don't have a spine to back up what you said. My dad taught me a lesson one time. I asked my son to do something, and I said, I asked you to do something. And I said, one, and he said, you've given him three chances for. He said, you ask him to do it, and you ask him to do it one time, and if he doesn't do it, you spank him, and then you show him what you expect him to do. And when you ask him again and he doesn't do it, you don't count to three. You just grab him and you spank him. He said, and then when he does it, you praise him. You see, that's discipline. It's both negative and positive. We need to, for, we need to not forget that. We need to show them what it means. I want to show you a biblical example for just a moment of somebody who didn't do this very well. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now I think about you know, the book of Judges and you think about then these priests and you think about how these priests were to be and how they were supposed to be treating uh, one and that they should be somebody to follow after, right? You know who some of the worst kids are? Stinking PKs, right? That's what we call them. Those preacher's kids seem to be some of the most unruly children. I told my children, if you get the reputation of a preacher kid, you will die. <laughs> it will happen. I want you to look at 1 Samuel 3. We're going to begin here, uh, verses 10 through 14. Now the Lord came and stood and called out at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, Speak for your servant heals. For hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I'll perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Samuel was a one, two, three guy. Samuel was a, hey, if you keep doing that, this is going to happen, and it never happened. Eli was. You think about Samuel here. Samuel didn't have any sons that were any better, but Eli had Hophni and Phinehas, and they were uh, forming with women at the, front of the, or at the stairs of the temple. They were doing awful things. They were not, he was not standing up to his sons. In fact, they would go in and they would take the best meat before it had even been offered before the Lord. They were going in and taking it. They'd have a three-prong hook that they'd stick down into that meat and they'd take up the best. And they would tell them, they would send others to intimidate and say, bring me, uh, give me the best now for them and, and I'll take it to them. And they'd say, no, no, I need to offer it first. I need to get the fat off and the fat must be burned. Do it or, or I'll pummel you. He would threaten them. This is because those boys were not restrained. 
And we think about it is to restrain our children, it is to make sure they do what is right. And Eli is going to be punished for not controlling them. His responsibility didn't end just because they left the house. His responsibility didn't end just because they grew up. You see, we have this thing that we exercise in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 called discipline. And it's hard. And I know that you guys are in the midst of that right now. And it's a hard and it's a difficult thing. But it is godly and it is right. And sometimes we have to do it even with our own family. Our responsibility doesn't end just because they're out of our house. We still have to make sure that we show them what God would want us to do. So how do we do it? How do we train them up? How do we get them to understand? How do we stand behind our family? How do we get them to see that they can rely on, that they can depend on us? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 are some of my favorite scriptures because they carry with them a load of responsibility. And as I told you, I like to be challenged. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the greatest challenges that we have as parents and as grandparents. It's one of the greatest challenges that we have as Christians, period. Deuteronomy 6, beginning there in verse 1, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Do you see that in verse 2? How many of them did God expect them to keep? You see that three-letter word? All. You can't get any aller than all, right? If God expects you to keep this circle right here, all of them, how many of those commandments are right here? None of them. They're all right here, and He expects every one of them to be kept. Grandparents, how many of you think that once your children leave the house and they start having children of their own, that those kids are their responsibility only. Do you see right here what God says? You, your sons, and your grandson. Guess what? This continues to show us over and over again. There is no retirement from Christianity. There is no retirement from God. We are to be faithful at all times and for every single person that we come into contact with. And that includes our children and our grandchildren. You know, I told Kendall this before. I am so excited that uh, Kendall and I have become much closer over the past uh, five or six years because I went to preaching school. And I'm thankful for who he is and I'm thankful for the example that he's been and continues to be. But I will tell you one of the greatest things that I'm excited for is the fact that I've got children who have somebody else to look up to. Somebody else that they can bounce things off, off of and that they can talk to about things. It's a big deal. Our Christian family is so important and so vital. If you don't believe me, I want you to think about something. We talk about the fact that this is such a small world, right? Because 
we'll run into people that we know or that we went to high school with and maybe we're in different states. But you know who we always run into when we're members of the church? We run into members of the church. And it's incredible to me to think about how small that world gets or how much smaller that world gets when it comes to the church. We run into one another. We have a responsibility to each other. And we need to make sure that our children have people that they are able to count on that aren't, maybe, you know, Kendall may have known me my entire life. I've known him as long as I can remember. He may not be a direct relative, but I'm telling you now, he's a brother. And I love him dearly. And I'm thankful for him because my children have somebody else again that they are able to go to and to talk to about it. Now, continuing on in verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are raising your children to be hardworking, to provide for families, and to make sure that they're taking care of their responsibilities? Do you raise them as hard to be a Christian? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are teaching them how to keep a checkbook? Do you raise them to check this book every day? To check the boxes in it every single day? You know, we raise our children, and rightly so. Please don't think that I'm saying that we shouldn't, okay? We do. We need to raise our children to be able to live in society as a strong member of society. Now, not like society, but in society, there's a difference to be in the world and of the world, all right? We need to make sure that we raise them to be strong in society so that they can be that strong example they need to be. But if we're raising them in society to be like society, because society, what's the paper they run for? They rush for money, right? They put it, it's at the top of the list. And if we're teaching our children how to keep a checkbook, but not to check this book, we've failed. We have missed it. We have missed the mark. He says here, teach them to your children. And he uses this word that starts with a D. It is diligently. It means that they are to have a goal set before. It has something to do with them persevering towards this. We need to persevere to teach and to be teachers. We need to show them and instruct them how important and vital this is. How much money do you have to have in order to get to heaven? that you'll carry nothing out. But there is something that is just as certain. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. When we think about appointed, it's an appointment. You ever have the doctor call you and say, we need to reschedule your appointment? How many of you have that? 
hot. So I'm glad to have that appointment rescheduled. Here's an appointment that will never be rescheduled. Okay? Not ever. God is not going to phone down to you to say, Hey, Corey, today was the day, but I got messed up and I got busy and I wasn't able to keep that appointment today, and so we're going to push that out for a little bit longer. It's not going to happen. It is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. And this is all man. So our children are going to do this. So our responsibility is to study it so that we know it. Our responsibility is then to teach it so they know it. And then our responsibility is to live it so they have an example to follow after. That's the responsibility that we have as parents and as grandparents. It's the responsibility that we have as Christians. Period. That's our responsibility. Know it, teach it, live it. Because if we don't do any of those three things, I think our souls are in jeopardy. Because we're not going to be able to see ourselves in heaven. Because we're not going to have followed all the commandments. God says, I've laid these out for you and I've made it easy for you to do. Is it always easy for us? You know, you know why? Because we make it difficult. We're the ones who mess it up, not God. We're the ones who make it difficult, not God. When Jesus gives the Lord's invitation in Matthew chapter 11, He says, my burden is easy, my yoke's light. You don't have to worry about it. In fact, you'll find rest for your souls where I'm at because that's what I want to give to you. I don't want to be burdensome. I don't want to put this great weight upon you. We do that to ourselves. We must understand the responsibility we have. Look at me, with me and see how he has this. In verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So how often? All day, every day. There's not a single moment that the world in Noah's day. In Noah's day, in Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 7, Noah God talks about the earth at that point in time. It was wicked and evil, and the thoughts and intents of the hearts of man were evil continually, and only evil continually. Do you realize that when they got up, they thought about evil? When they walked by the way, they thought about evil? When they sat in their house, they thought about evil. When they went to bed, they thought about evil. When they rose up, they thought about evil. Do you realize that we could change every single one of those if we would put God in front of it? That when we walk by the way, we think about God. That when we sit in our house, we think about God. That when we go to work, we think about God. When we sit in our house, when we rise up, when we go to bed, everything, if it was all about God, that we could change everything. There was a guy that he wanted to change the world. He was a young man, and he wanted to change the world. He wanted to have this huge impact on all the world. He wanted to have this huge impact that everyone would be able to see. And so he set out to do just that, to change the entire world. And after a few years, he realized, man, the world is just too big for me to have that type of effect on the world. And so he said, I'll narrow my gaze and I'm just going to concentrate and focus on my country. And after a few years of that, he realized my country is too big. I can't have that type of influence on them. 
So I'm going to narrow my gaze further and I'm going to go to my house or go to my state. And he narrows to his state. Then he narrowed to his county. Then he narrowed to the town in which he lived. And then finally he said, you know what? If I could just change my family. And he figured out that even his family was too great of a task for him. By this time he is an old man. And he looked at the old man looking back at him in the mirror. And he said, you know what? If I just would have started with me, if I would have focused on myself, then I would have changed my family, which would have changed the town that we live in, which would have changed the county in which we live, which would have changed our state, which would have changed our nation, which would have changed the world. You see, often we look at it completely backwards. We just look at the great big picture and we fail to focus on self. That's why it's so vital that when we see these messages this week, can God depend on me? Can God count on me? Can my family count on me? Because if I change me, I'll change my family. And if I change my family, then I will change the town in which I live. Now I want you to take this for a moment with me, brethren, to the church. If I change me, and that spreads to my family, then this family changes the city. And then this city changes the county. And this county changes the state. And that continues to go on. We watch this domino effect and often we think about a domino effect being in such a negative manner as we watch things begin to fall. But do we understand the building up from all of those? This right here is strong and stable in the Lord. Then this example is what everyone outside of here sees. And when everyone outside of here sees the example of the the family God, then what takes place and what happens is absolutely incredible. We don't focus on number. To think about that. Be here to worship God together in spirit and in truth because it's why we gather together to glorify God. But do we understand the glory that God would have and does have in His children when they take His commandments and His statutes and they live them outside. See, we go into all the world. That's the message that Jesus and the command that Jesus gave to all of us to go into all the world. The world starts outside our door. We don't have to go to foreign countries. Now going there is great, but the world starts outside our door. Tomorrow night we get to look at can the world count on me? But my question for you tonight is can your family count on you? Can your physical family, can your church family, can God count on you when it comes to your family? Maybe it is that you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God. Let me explain this to you as carefully as I can. You are not a part of the family of God. And as such, you are outside. And you will be eternally separated from Him if you don't do something about that condition. 
This is the greatest family that you could be a part of, the greatest institution on the face of the earth. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. My church. It's his. His body. It's the greatest institution and the greatest thing you could be a part of. We looked at Acts 2 yesterday. Won't you be a part of that church? Won't you be a part of that body? Maybe you're here tonight and you've already made that decision. But instead of allowing the church to be able to see it in you, you've gone back to the ways of the world. And the world can depend on you to be very worldly. But your family cannot depend on you to be godly. And you need to do something about that to make it right. If it is a private sin, then I, I beg you to pray to God and to make that right. To repent and to change so that you are back in good standing with Him. Maybe it's public and it needs to be addressed publicly. Then I ask you to make that right as well so that you're on the right side of God and you can start living for Him and everyone else can see that change in you. If you have any need of the invitation tonight, we ask that you please come now. As together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.